Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that we could join uh, from many different homes, many locations, with one desire, Lord, that's to draw near to you this morning, uh, to get a fresh glimpse of who you are and how you act in the world. Uh, so I just pray, Father, that you would speak to each of us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would specifically apply uh, the word to each person, what they need to hear, what I need to hear, uh, that you would just highlight it and just put an exclamation mark after it and say, hey, that's something uh, that I need to put into action. So, Father, we thank you again uh, that you're with us, and we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we were in Leviticus way back there, and now we're on the other end of the Bible, almost at the end, uh, on the third letter of John. So let me read it, and uh, we'll talk about it. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is, how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church by Ditroptides. I'm not quite sure how to say this man's name, but that's my shot there. Who loves to be first among them does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what's evil, but what's good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our witness is true. I have many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Amen. Okay, uh, so this is the third letter 
these are short little letters that John wrote. Uh, the John we're talking about here is John the disciple, okay? One of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, this is the same John who wrote the gospel of John. And here he's just writing some words to a man uh, from what we can understand. His name is Gatius uh, at a church and basically talking to him, commending him uh, and telling him what's good and what's not good. So what we're going to do is kind of look at this uh, a little bit at a time and see what the Lord's going to speak to us. So it says right here in the beginning, the elder to the beloved Gatius, whom I love in truth. The elder would be, in a sense, the leader. That would be almost like uh, if it would be written today uh, to Pastor Brennan, uh, to the beloved uh, person. So uh, an elder is a leader in the church. Uh, um, Bob and Doug and I are elders, along with Mike Chambers, uh, kind of supporting Pastor Brennan. But really the elder here, I believe he's talking about, is really the chief elder, the one that's kind of overseeing the church. So that would be in a modern day, our pastor Brennan. So John greets him, the elder, uh, referring to himself, to the beloved Gatius. And I, I find that very interesting how he talks about Gatius, the beloved. And what really hit me this morning as I was trying to kind of tie up loose ends in my mind about sharing is this idea of the beloved starts with the father and the son. And what really hit me uh, is when Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water after John baptizes him, God the father says these words, this is my beloved son. Just He's just telling the entire world, I love my son, Jesus. He is my beloved. But then what hit me today, and I never put it together, is he said that a second time when Jesus is transfigured and he's up on a mountain. Uh, Peter, James, and John are there. Jesus is transfigured. And God the Father a second time to the disciples says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So this whole idea of the beloved starts with this tremendous relationship between the father and the son. And the father affirms his son and says, you're beloved. I love you dearly. You're so special to me. And the beauty of that is that love that the father shows to the son has now been spilled out to us as the church. Uh, in fact, uh, when you look at John, from what we can see, he was probably the most intimate disciple with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were really tight, but of the three, the one that seemed to know Jesus' heart the most was the disciple John. And what's interesting, if you read his gospel, John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. I find that really pretty interesting. That is his image and his identity as he looks at himself. He said, I am the, the disciple who Jesus loved. And he's just basking in the love of Jesus. That love that the father has for the son, that love that Jesus shared with John is the same love, I believe, that God has for us. So when it says the elder to the beloved Gatius, I think you could look on the screen here and say the beloved 
Nicole or the beloved Frank or the beloved Erica or the beloved Robert or Jean or Loretta or June Claudette and go right along. So I want you to know if there's anything you get out of this entire thing, that you are the beloved of God. And I think we have to almost just soak in that almost like when people go to the beach in the summer, they just sit there and they soak in the sun. I can't think of anything more important you or I can do to start our day than just sit literally in the love of God and receive the love of the father. Just the way the father loves the son. The Bible is very clear that God loves us with that same passion and that same unconditional love. So John greets the leader of this particular church, and he gives him that title. The elder to the beloved Gaius. He loves Gaius with the love of Christ. And there's the greatest challenge for all of us. <clears throat> that you and I can carry the love of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit out into the world as we interact with our, our people we work with, as we interact with neighbors, even as we interact with our, our church family and our own immediate family. The telling mark should be the love of Christ flowing through us. That's what makes the difference totally. So he starts, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Truth is a really big word in the Bible. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, you know this, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there's a big difference between truth and the opposite is falsehood. And from the early church, even to the modern day, there's this tremendous struggle in the church because falsehood tries to creep itself into the body of Christ. Because Satan knows if he can get us to buy into lies, it can distort everything. It can distort our view of who God is. Uh, it can distort our view of how we relate to others. Uh, lies just mess everything up. So basically, he says he loves uh, Gaius, whom I love, and truth. Truth is important. <clears throat> truth has been distorted, we know. Uh, there's cults today. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, that have, in a sense, distorted part of the truth that's in the Word of God. That's why they're called a cult. There's a distortion of the truth because many times uh, people say there's not a trinity, not a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Or there's a distortion of the truth where they say, well, Jesus really isn't God. Um, or they say there's many ways to heaven. These are all distortions of the truth, lies that have crept in sometimes in the early church, even modern day. I think one of the greatest, from my perspective, lies that has permeated the modern church uh, is the idea of homosexuality as an okay lifestyle. <clears throat> we talked about love. We are always to love everybody. We are to love homosexuals. We're to care for them. We're to be considerate of them. But I do not believe we can say that is a biblically accepted lifestyle. And that's coming into our culture it's now drifting into the church that this is okay. Uh, but if you look at the book of Romans, if we believe the Bible is true and we read Romans chapter one, it is very clear that this is not a true thing that we should embrace as a doctrine. So Satan is, again, trying to inject lies, uh, but we are called basically uh, to walk in truth. In fact, uh, John 8, 32, it says, you shall know the truth. What? And the truth 
will set you free. Free to do what? To experience what I believe is the abundant life that God wants to give us. So here's a big deal. How do you know what the truth is? How do you know what's true or false? Because if you don't know that, you're not going to know which way to go. Uh, and I found a, a story I knew many years ago that has always uh, said something to me is when you go to the bank and you might say, how, how does a teller know when their money is forged, when it's a fraud? And what they do, they teach tellers to tell the false by studying the truth. So if a teller keeps seeing the real bill, the true bill, and just keeps doing that, eventually when the false bill comes up, they, they know it. They just know it because they've studied the truth. So if you want to walk in truth and not falsehood, study the word of God. And that's a beautiful thing that you folks are up here in the morning, uh, this early, and you're studying the truth. And as you study the truth on a consistent basis, you're going to begin to discern when a false doctrine is trying to weave itself into the church. You'll say, no, no, I've studied, no, no, this is wrong. I've studied the truth long enough. I know when Satan's trying to throw me a curveball. But truth is so, so important. Look at um, what John says here. He talked about truth in verse one. Look at verse three. For I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. Look at verse uh, four. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walk, walking in the truth. Look at verse eight. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers what? with the truth. John is saying truth is not optional. You got to know the truth, he's saying to the church. Don't be deceived by the devil. Study the word of God. Get the truth in you because that truth is going to get you on the right path and the right way to go. If you look at verse two, beloved, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. I pray that you all would prosper and be in good health. I believe God's basic design for each of us is health. His basic design. When God created Adam and Eve, they were not ill. They did not have disease. When we look at Jesus in the Gospels, it seems when he saw sick people that he made them well. I think we definitely function better when we're well than when we're sick. When you're sick, you have the flu, just try to be effective. You're just like whacked out. And I know some different friends that have sickness. I know one good pastor friend that is battling Lyme's disease. It's so hard to function spiritually or any way when we're not well. So I believe God's basic desire is health, but I don't believe we can put God in a box. Uh, over some almost 50 years of ministry, I've wrestled with this, this issue of sickness. And Lord, it looks biblically that you want people well. And many times we pray and they don't seem to get well. And there seems to be a contradiction. And I don't know anybody that has the full answer on this picture. I really don't. But that doesn't make me want to throw out the idea that God wants us well or we should be praying for health. I know um, God does some things that are out of the box. I think of Johnny Erickson. Some people in the younger generation don't know her, uh, but she's a gal way back that uh, dove off a diving board, broke her neck, 
and has never been healed, but has changed the world literally by ministering to disabled people all over the world through her illness or more, not so much her illness, but the fall that, that has messed up her spinal cord. So God basically, I think, wants us well, but he does say there is an issue here. Uh, beloved, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. That's a big deal. I think God says, you know, before you can look at your body, make sure your soul is prospering. In other words, that you're walking in the ways of God. There's certain things we can do in our soul that are going to mess our body and make it ill. If we carry grudges and offenses, Pastor Brennan's been talking about that, that can mess your body up. It's like drinking acid if you keep a bitter spirit. Anxiety can affect your body and make it ill. Overwork can make your body ill. Lack of a spiritual intimacy with the Lord, again, can get in the way of walking in health. So it's really important, uh, I think, that we walk with a healthy soul, which is our best shot at have, having a healthy body. Now, look, if you look at verse 5, uh, he says here, beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. He's talking to Gaius, and especially when they are strangers. This is a big, super big word in the Bible. You are acting faithfully. Faithfully. Uh, the world's gauge clarity uh, is not necessarily that. It's bigness, money looks, athletic ability. Um, the world goes to these things and say, wow, they, this person is really, really important. And from God's point of view, he says, no, no, what's important to me is that you are faithful, that you are faithful. Uh, and I think by that, he means faithful to live the word of God, faithful to be obedient, faithful to use the spiritual gifts God has given you uh, to share Jesus with the world. Uh, I don't think the Bible ever tells us to compare ourselves with anybody else. Again, the world's mindset is big is better. So I would say overall, most people would say, God loves Pastor Brendan more than he loves me that sits in the pew. Why? Because Pastor Brendan's up front, because he's touching all these people. And our viewpoint from the world's point of view is God loves that person more because of all that they're doing and how gifted they are. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're called to be faithful to how God wired us up. Just to be faithful to be who God made you to be. There was a lady in my first church, and I remember her name, Betty Snor. Uh, the lady had a very ill mother uh, and took care of her probably for 40 years. Because of that, uh, she was never able to marry, uh, was never able to get to the church for services, uh, kind of lived almost like a reclusive life. <clears throat> but she dearly loved the Lord. And she was faithful, faithful to take care of what was right before her, which was her mom. So I think some people think, well, Billy Graham, he's going to be at the head of the line. Look, he's touched millions of people. But from what I can see, that lady, Betty Schnorr, who was faithful to do everything she could for her mother in the life of Christ, 
I think God will say to her, well done, Betty. And he'll say to Billy Graham, well done, Billy. So we're not to compare ourselves with anybody else. You are unique. Every one of you are totally unique. God's gifted you in a specific way. And I think God's saying to every one of us, just be who I made you to be. Be faithful. The whole Christian walk basically is just be faithful to the next thing that God tells you to do. It's not complicated. We complicate Christianity and we get ourselves in a maze that gets all tangled up. Christianity is not complex. God says, just be faithful. Be obedient. When I nudge you, do the next thing I ask you to do. And then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you do that, you'll get exactly where you need to be. So faithfulness is a big deal. If you look at verse five, um, again, uh, basically, he's uh, affirming Gaius, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers, especially when they are strangers, and they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So John is affirming Gaius. He said, you've been faithful. And here's, here's, the, here's the other big word. Faithful is a major word in the Bible, but get this. Six, and they bear witness to your love before the church. So John is affirming Gaius. He said, man, you are faithful. And he said, you're doing the second most important thing as well. Equally important as faithful is you're loving. You're loving with the love of the Lord. There's a couple of verses here, uh, John 13 and verse 34. Listen to what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, I want you, disciples, and that's referring to us as well. I want you to love each other with the same supernatural love that I gave you. And he says in verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is very clear. He said, if you want to know the most distinguishing mark of what a Christian is, it's how much the love of Jesus shines through them. And I think that is the ultimate mark of maturity in our Christian walk, is how much of the love of Christ is shining through your life and mine. That's the grid. It's the love of Jesus coming through us. Uh, talking about love, probably the chapter more than any in the Bible on that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and in angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, he says, I am nothing. I'm zero. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned, but if I do not have love, it profits nothing. And then he says, here's the picture of Christ's love. God, Christ's love is patient. His love is kind. It's not jealous. His love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Christ's love is not unbecoming. Christ's love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Christ's love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Christ's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
and endures all things. And then he ends in verse 13. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Friends, if you get those two words down in the depths of your spirit as a Christian, you will have a very transformed and powerful Christian life. Faithfulness. Just, Lord, I will do the next thing I believe you want me to do. And, Lord, I want to do it with your love, with your supernatural, unconditional love flowing through me. Whoever you bring before me, my aim is to love them the way you would love them if you were there in the flesh. And again, uh, in verse six, he basically says uh, to Gaius, he says, um, to send them, these traveling preachers, on their way in a manner worthy of God. So I think what he's saying is if you find these traveling preachers that come to the church, he said, love them. I believe he'd say, encourage them, pray for them. And notice he, he also goes a step further for these Preachers that kind of come, they're traveling evangelists, you might say, uh, that are due not only to encourage and pray for them. Look at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. In other words, actually financially to support them as well. Now, what's interesting, John's very clear. He is affirming the truth. Okay. He's affirming what's right. He's affirming Gaius, patting him on the back and say, yeah, you're doing great. But, but he also is pointing out when things are not going well in another person's life. If you look at verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diophanes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. He's saying, uh, church, my job is to speak truth, and this guy is living a falsehood <clears throat> because he thinks it's all about him. And, and John said, no, no. Watch out for this guy. He's not living the truth of the Christian life. It's all about him. It's a lie. And I think uh, John could back up what he says, uh, that it's not all about us, about Christianity. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, um, it says this about Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think John would say, this guy, Theoptenes, he's proud. It's all about him. And he said, no, no, no. Look at Jesus. He's humble. It's not all about him. Uh, it's not an ego trip. Uh, I think there's another statement uh, in Matthew. Jesus bears witness himself to this. Uh, let me find it here. Matthew, and it's chapter 20, and it's verse 25. Listen to what Jesus says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so to be among you. Whoever wishes to become great, okay? Do you want to be great? I think I want to be great. In a sense, Jesus doesn't say ignore greatness. He says, no, that's okay. It's okay to want to be great, but he defines it. He says, if anyone among you wishes to become great among you, 
uh, you shall be your servant. You shall be a servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this fellow, uh, basically, uh, Diophanes is a false person, and he's living a false lifestyle. In fact, John even goes more pointing out the wrongness of this man if he looks at verse 10. For this reason, if I come, I'll call attention to his deeds, which he does. John's not missing words. He's not afraid to call a spade a spade. He's not afraid to confront evil in the church. He says, when I come, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'll call attention to his deeds, which he does. And what's he doing? Unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Okay. Uh, and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. He forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. In other words, he's saying wrong words about John. He's also telling people don't receive these traveling preachers, uh, which is, again, the opposite of what they're supposed to do, which is support them. Uh, and basically, John says, when I come, we're going to deal with this. Because if I don't deal with this little cancer in the church, it could spread. Like, you know, they say one bad apple can destroy the whole deal. John said, no, I'm, I'm going to deal with this because this has to be dealt with or the church is going to be in trouble. So <clears throat> he goes on. Uh, basically, if you look at verse 11. He says, beloved, do not imitate what's evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So, again, we're to be faithful, we're to love, and we're to do good. And I was looking at kind of a couple verses that spoke to me on the good. Um, don't have time for you to, to look them up, but let me just tell you what they are and read them quick. Uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah the Old Testament prophet, chapter 1, verse 16, uh, he says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds, from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good. And then kind of he lays out, okay, do good, okay, what do you mean? I said, do good. And listen what he says, learn to do good, seek justice, that's doing good. Reprove the ruthless, that's what John's doing right here. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. He says, you want to do good? Let me give you some illustrations. Uh, if you look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, um, Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Not just do good to nice people, do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus defines. That's what goodness looks like in reality. Uh, there's another one. If you look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, let me get it. 12, 17, it says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. 
So basically, uh, and he ends here, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, I think that this is saying it's, it's important. Be faithful to what God asks us to do. Love people and do what's right and do what's good as you live your Christian lifestyle. And then he gives a benediction in a sense, verse 14, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends by name. Uh, And I like that. Peace be to you. I believe the Lord wants us to experience his peace. Uh, And if you wanna know a verse, I think that speaks to that so well, Uh, It's in the book of Philippians, and let me pull it up here, in Philippians, uh, it's chapter 4, and here's the verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In other words, I think Paul says, hey, Bring your request to God and then thank him that when you pray, he's at work doing something to bring them to pass. I think the danger is sometimes we pray and we have no expectation that God's going to do anything. We just go through the, the, the routine. I pray instead of saying, Lord, I present a request to you and I know you're hearing my prayer. And because I know you're hearing my prayer, I know you want to answer my prayer. And therefore, uh, I'm going to be thankful before I see anything. And Paul says, if you do that, uh, he said, verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is an amazing thing. I would think we've all experienced this sometime. And what's amazing is when you're going through an amazingly terrible time, uh, and you're going through a crisis, and yet simultaneously you have this this peace in your heart that defies anything in your brain, because it makes no sense. Um, You're literally living in a supernatural quality that's in God himself, which is his peace. And I think that's what John prays at the end, that, that they would experience in the church the peace of God. So powerful little chapter, and I just, again, would lift up. Folks, be faithful. The Holy Spirit's going to nudge you at different times. When he tells you to do something, respond. Make it your aim to love people with the love of Christ. And that means even your enemies. The best way to reach an enemy is to love them with the love of Christ. Always seek to do good. What's good in a situation? What's best for that individual that I can do for them? Uh, And then know also that God, as you live that kind of lifestyle, wants you to experience his supernatural peace. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this chapter. A little tiny chapter, Lord, but it has powerful truths within it. Uh, Lord, I just pray for each of us. Lord, just help us uh, to walk in truth. Lord, help us not to be overcome by the lies of the evil one as he tries to distract us and get us off course. Help us, Lord, to read your word on a daily basis that it would direct our paths. And Lord, as you nudge us through the day, help us to be faithful that when you you nudge us, that we respond and we seek to do what you want. And Lord, we know 
in other parts of the scripture, you said, make love your aim. So Lord, may that be our aim today, to be channels of your love, whether it's with a spouse, with our kids, whether it's with the people we work with today, whether it's with the neighbor, the bank tower, the grocery clerk, we pray that your love would flow through us. And Father, we pray that we always would seek to do what's good. Even when we're treated badly, uh, Lord, may we always ask the question, what's, what's the best thing I can do in this situation for this particular person? So Lord, we thank you for this day. We give it to you. Thank you, you're gonna lead us. Thank you, you're gonna guide us. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified in us and through us. And it's in your holy and strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. But you folks have a great day. Go forward in the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.